Well, we've reached the conclusion of this series through Mark, but it is not the end because whenever we reach the conclusion of anything, it should always compel us to look back. Remember when we started this journey so many weeks ago through Mark, we started at the end of the story, Palm Sunday and Easter with Jesus' death and his resurrection. And through Mark's account of Jesus' life, we discovered the point of the entire story, that it was an invitation to follow Christ and to join this new kingdom, this, this new way of living. But now we are invited to actually respond to the story. And know this, when Jesus is involved, our response is never just, hmm, that's good, and then nothing. Or, wow, and then nothing. Or a slow clap, or a nod of the head, or a thumbs up in the chat, but then nothing. What Jesus did and said always forces a response, an action. And fortunately, he leaves us with the appropriate response to everything that he said and everything we've learned that he did. And this response is so uncomplicated, but so demanding and so messy. That response is love. I know, I know. Love is the answer sounds so sappy to you. You want more details, more definition. Because the idea of love is always in danger of getting watered down and trivialized so that it easily loses its true emphasis and its opportunity. We say things like, I love donuts. I love golf. I love ice cream. The Golden Knights. I love San Diego. Breakfast. I love it. And I love my wife. Well, hopefully not in that order. But if someone said to you, out of all the things you love, tell me what is the most important, the top priority, I trust that you would be able to describe that. Some of you, you may have to pause and think for a moment. Well, in our story today in Mark chapter 12, Jesus was asked a question about what was most important, what was his top priority, and he basically responded with this one word, Love. Now, Shane touched on this as he closed last week's message. But within this invitation from Jesus to join this new kingdom he was establishing, he guides us directly to who we should love and how that love is radically demonstrated. In Mark chapter 12, Jesus is approached by one of the teachers of the law, an expert who's wanting to hear Jesus' opinion on a subject he was very familiar with, the law and the commandments. So he asked Jesus this, of all the commandments, which is the most important? So let me paraphrase what he was asking. He's saying, Jesus, you are fully aware of how many commandments there are. I mean, we have the 10 big ones, and then we have over 600 other laws that we're supposed to somehow know and follow. The man said, trust me, I've committed my life. I'm a teacher of the law to these things. So tell us, Jesus, if you had to prioritize, if you had to sum them up, if you could narrow it down, what would you say? And this is Jesus' response. He said, the most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So love, there's that word, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. 
Now, this is what those who were listening at that moment would have known as the Shema. Every morning and every evening, they would recite this statement, this verse from Deuteronomy 6, as a liturgical prayer. And Shema is the Hebrew word for listen or hear. So that's how this would have started. Hear, listen, O Israel. And everyone standing around would have heard Jesus' response, and they would have agreed with that being the first, love the Lord your God. But Jesus wasn't finished. He went on and he added this. The second one he said is, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And as you're watching today, you may be thinking this whole neighbor thing can really get exhausting if we're honest. Loving God, we can all sort of agree and nod, whether, whether we fully do it all the time or not. But this, this neighbor idea, this is where we can easily get lax or maybe even look for loopholes. Like, how can we get by, by with the minimal amount of loving? That's often our response. A couple years ago, I got inspired to order a book from Amazon, uh, a great book actually called The Art of Neighboring. I'm like, I'm going to love my neighbors around me. I'm going to come up with a strategy. I'm going to love them. So I did what all of us do. Instead of doing it, I ordered a book. And a few days later, the doorbell rang. And when I looked out, there were these two people at the door. They're probably 19 or 20 years old. And my first thought was, oh man, what do they want? What are they selling? How do I get them to go away? So I didn't respond, but they kept ringing the doorbell. So finally I opened it up and before they could even speak, I let them know whatever they're selling, I'm not interested. And, and they, they started to try to speak again. Again, I said, listen, this is going to be a short conversation. I am not interested. Finally, I heard one of them say, no, 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 you don't understand. We are your neighbors we're your neighbors down the street. And this, this Amazon package was delivered incorrectly to our house. So we just wanted to bring it over to you. I was so embarrassed. I, I quickly thanked them and I shut the door. And of course, wouldn't you know it, when I opened the package, staring back at me was the cover of this book, The Art of Neighboring. I obviously had not gotten off to a great start with that. We have to realize that Jesus, with his life and how he lived and what he said, he redefined what it was to be a neighbor with every breath that he took while he was with us. When he touched a leper, when he sat next to a woman at a well, he calmed the demon-possessed man. He ate dinner with sinners and with prostitutes, and he befriended those of poor reputation. So here would be Jesus' simple definition of neighbor. He would say to us, anyone, anywhere with a need that you can meet, especially those who are nothing like you or who may not even like you. So here's the deal. Our love for God, that first commandment, is demonstrated by how we treat those who were created in the image of God, that second commandment. So even the teacher of the law who asked the question understood how powerful this was. His response to Jesus' answer was this. Well said, teacher. Good job. The man replied, you are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding and with all your strength and to love your neighbors as yourself is more important 
than everything else we do. It's more important than the burnt offerings. It's more important than the sacrifices. Jesus was saying leading with love is more important than all the rigid attempts we may make to please God. It's more important than even trying to follow desperately all the rules and the regulations and the guidelines. Those are important. Those are fine. But Jesus said, make sure that you always lead with love. It's the top priority. Now, here's how John describes that same kingdom principle. But in this case, Jesus clarifies it even further. He says this, a new command I give you. So he's emphasizing this, this second command of love. And he says, I give it to you, love one another. And again, Jesus says, lead with love. And if he just stopped there, all of us would have thought, that's, that's great. I, I kind of like the people that I hang around with. So I can lead them with love, you know, my nearest neighbors. But then he wasn't finished. He said, as I have loved you, now he's moving the bar up. Now he's moving the expectation up. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And I just picture in this moment that Jesus could have easily gone around the room to his disciples who were sitting there when he said this from person to person. And he could have said, as I have loved you, Matthew. Remember how we met Matthew? What were you doing? And Matthew said, uh, collecting taxes. That's right. And were the other guys with me, Matthew? Were they excited to have you join up? Not really, Jesus. Correct. And, and do you remember what I did right away? Yes, Jesus, you invited me to follow you. Yes, correct again. And Matthew, remember where we went right away? Yes, Jesus. We went to my house to have dinner and hang with my friends. Jesus said three for three. Matthew, you got it. So I want you for the rest of your life, the grace that I've extended to you that day, I want you to extend to everyone else. You must love one another as I have loved you. And hey, Nathaniel, remember when you mocked me when you first saw me? Remember, yes, Jesus, I remember. You made fun of my hometown, Nate, my, my favorite football team, my heritage. And remember what I did? Yes, Jesus, you, you invited me to follow you anyways. Correct, Nathaniel. So now I want you to model and demonstrate that same type of grace and acceptance to everyone you meet, regardless of how they treat you. As I have loved you, Nathaniel, so must you love one another. Guys, he said to all the 12, remember that day when I was teaching and it didn't go so well? I mean, it went well, I thought, but people didn't like what I was saying. And so we looked around as they started to leave and they were like, yeah, we remember Jesus Jesus said they weren't just taking a break. They were leaving permanently. You remember that? You were all sitting around to, pretending to pay attention while you were glancing around as I lost the crowd. And Peter, you remember, I asked you if you wanted to leave as well because I knew every single one of you probably wanted to disappear with the crowd that day. Do you remember? Yes. Jesus, don't remind us. We remember. Well, you wanted to unfollow me but I never chose to unfollow you. And that's how I want you to treat each other and the people you meet for the rest of your life. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And he could have said, if you think you've seen love, a few days from now, I'm gonna take it to an entirely different level. And I want you to remember this night because your responsibility is to love other people the way I have and I'm about to love you. Because he goes on to say, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Remember when I said it's uncomplicated, but it's demanding? That's this. 
Not just if you love me, not just if you love God, but if you love one another, that will be the proof. The point Jesus was making, the point John was making, and the point Peter made sure that Mark wrote down is that your love for God will only be demonstrated and only be validated by how well you love each other. Even the most difficult people in your life. So when Jesus says, love others like I have loved you, that leaves us pretty much zero wiggle room. You and I now always know what to do. And what we're supposed to do is this. What love requires of us. This is what Jesus simply told us to do in every situation. Not just what the Bible requires of me, not what the church requires of me, but simply this question. What does love, the kind that Jesus demonstrated, what does it require of me? Based on what Jesus did, do that. The Apostle Paul understood this type of love. How do we know? Because he wrote these words. He said, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Why should I forgive? Because someone commands me to? Because if it's something that's good for me? No, Jesus says, and Paul says, you forgive because you are forgiven. You're kind. You're patient. Why? Why would I want to be kind and patiently? Have you been in this world? They're not patient with me. They're not kind to me. I shouldn't have to do that. And again, Paul reminds us why we're kind, why we're patient. He said, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. Lead with love. Do what love requires of us. Love is the mandate. Love is the command. There is no loophole. It is so uncomplicated, but it's so compelling. Here's one more from from Paul for you. He says this to the Philippian church. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So again, this kind of love is not that complicated. How should I respond to my husband or my wife, even when they're being difficult? What about that family member that makes me crazy? That coworker. You don't don't need a Bible study on this. Just write this verse on a three-by-five card and put it somewhere where you see it all the time and live by it. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And when you're wondering, how should I respond to someone? Well, respond the way Christ responded to you when you were an idiot, where you did the wrong thing, where you made mistakes, when you weren't honest or you were insecure. That's it. Just do what Christ has done for you. Love God, Jesus said, and then love others the way God loves you. Have the same mindset. You see, when we get this right, people want to work for you. And they want to work with you, even even if they don't believe like you do when you lead with love, when you do what love requires of you. When we get this right, people want us to work for them, even though they don't believe like us. When we get this right, people are pumped that we are the church that is in their community. All they can say about our church is, wow, look at how they treat people. Look at how they love. Bob Goff, he said it this way. He said, every time I wonder who I should love and for how long I should love them, God continues to whisper to me, everybody, always. Everybody. 
Those whose life path does not parallel our own, those whose beliefs are not our own, those whose politics are not our own, and those whose skin color does not match our own. We often forget that in the 60s, the civil rights movement was born out of the church. They would meet and they would pray and they would plan the parameters of their protests and then they would go out peacefully and the church led out during this season in a very real way. So if we as believers refuse right now to be part of this important conversation and that the change is taking place, if we refuse to lead with love, to do what love requires of us, we lose the place where we should be as followers of Christ and as the church. And when you're tempted to say, some of you, let's not get involved. Lee, let's not get involved. Let's just preach the gospel. I would push back a little. I would say, well, we don't just preach the gospel when it comes to fighting sex trafficking or battling hunger. No, we don't preach the gospel only. We act as we should. And this is a similar moment for us to lead with love. And if there are elements of this movement that are not reflective of where we believe this conversation should be going, that means it becomes even more important for the church, for followers of Christ, to be there, to fill in those gaps. We can't simply just ignore the sorrow and the lament of millions who are made in the image of God right now in our country and just pat them on the back and say, God bless you. If we do that, we haven't done what love has required of us. We haven't been marked by the life and the teachings of Jesus. We should be running towards this moment with the light and the good news of the gospel instead of choosing oftentimes to hide behind our device screens and our social media handles. Everyone so easily appeals to love. It's uncomplicated, but few of us are able to walk in it as consistently as we should because it is so demanding. And there are a few times more important than right now demanding that love be a consistent driving force for all of us especially those of us who follow in the inviting footsteps of Jesus. So while we prepare and we're excited to regather and we clean our church buildings and we prep our logo face mask and we sanitize our hands and we prepare for contactless communion, that's awesome, but we still risk remaining contaminated because it's our lack of faith, possibly, and our lack of love that desperately needs to be disinfected. And Jesus' love is uncomplicated, but it's, it's demanding and it is messy. And it begins with you and it begins with me doing every day to everyone what love requires of us. Listen, if we as individuals do this, it's transformational. But if the church gets this right, everything changes doing what love requires us. And in this COVID season, so many have gotten it right. Just, we just watched and we've seen it on display so often. Here, here's some examples I wanna show you of what love requires of us looks like. This is Brittany. She's one of our elementary Kids Crossing small group leaders. And she showed up a few weeks ago at every one of her fifth graders small groups homes because they're getting ready to go into middle school to congratulate them and to give them a gift and celebrate with them their move to middle school. She's journeyed through the elementary years with them. Brittany is telling us this is what love requires of us. Let me show you Danny. Here's Danny. Danny's awesome. He always wears orange and he, he's a rideshare driver makes his living doing that. But during this COVID pandemic, there's been less of that. And so 
Danny pivoted and he began using his skills to deliver masks to those who needed them, to deliver food and even spend time taking cookies to the doorsteps of our local first-time guests because Danny was committed to doing what love required of him. This is Jen. So Jen, she led out a crew of seamstress who made masks by the thousands when they were in demand and so needed both for our healthcare workers and for those who were at high risk. And so she rallied people and they sewed and they delivered and they packaged because that's what love was required of them. And then Julie, she provided a meal for this family, the Basners. I don't think Julie even knows the Basners, but this family, they are, they are on the front line, the front line of, of taking care of people who are sick and rescuing those who are hurt. And so we spent a week making sure that these families were fed. So Julie participated saying simply this, this is what love requires of me. So it's appropriate that we close this moment and this entire series by making it personal. It is personal. The response, the action that Jesus asks of us is personal. What does love require of you this week? What does love require of me this week? It's probably not that complicated, but I'm sure it's demanding. And it definitely is if we are marked by Jesus, where he asks us to respond by being led with love in our lives. That's what being marked looks like. Let me pray with you. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for this journey that we've been taking. During these challenging times together, this conversation has been so important and will continue. God, I pray for those listening today in the midst of the challenges that they may be facing individually, that we would rally as people, as family, as a church to continue to do and be committed and convicted about doing what love requires of us. Let us be known by that as we are followers of yours, citizens of your kingdom. God, we ask that this would be true and that through that, your light would go out and in the world that we are a part of. God, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.